All right, so we are in our series, Words from the Mountain, and we have journeyed to this new section of the mountain where we're looking at what Jesus would describe as authentic faith. So here's what he's trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you to ask why you're doing what you're doing. All the good things that you've been doing all of your life, why are you doing them? What's the purpose? What's the motive that you have behind the things that you are doing? And he, he does, we talked about this last week, but he's getting you to do something that sounds very strange. This word repentance means to turn away from something and to turn towards God, and he's trying to get you to repent for the good things that you are doing for the absolute wrong reasons, for these motives that you have hidden inside of you that you have been ignoring, but actually these motives are causing you to do good things on the surface, but, but the reason why you're doing them aren't really what you think they are. And so, this word hypocrite comes up. And this word hypocrite comes from the Greek, the Greek used, the word used for an actor who wore many different masks as he acted out because there wasn't enough actors. So one actor would wear different masks in order to play different parts. And so this idea is that you are in a theater. And if you're being hypocritical... Uh, a hypocritical Christian, or maybe not a Christian, but maybe you've, maybe you've been playing the role of a Christian, maybe it's this, you've been wearing this mask, and you've been saying, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but the real thing, the real reason you're doing the things that you're doing is because you want some glory, you're seeking to build your own kingdom, you're just wanting people around you to just think that you're great. You just want some value added to your life. You want people to think you're worthy of something. And so what you do is you take these good things that you could possibly be doing, whatever it might be, in this case today it's prayer, and you're using those things, or those good things, to build up your own kingdom and to add some value and to add some worth to you so people will look at you and they'll think that you're great. And, and here's the thing. So God has put these desires for glory, for kingdom, and for value and for worth in you. Only they are there to drive you to him, to his glory, and to his kingdom, and for you to find your value and your worth in Christ. And there's a tendency for all of us to wear a mask, whether you're a Christian or not, we have this tendency to do the things that we're doing for the praise of others, for, for our own glory, for our own kingdom. We build, we're seeking so badly to build our own kingdom so we could get this version of the good life that we want. We want to be seen as someone who's valued. We want to be seen as someone who's worthy. And so what we do is we try to figure out desperately which mask to wear in front of which people so we can get what we want. We can get our kingdom. We can get value. We can get worth. And, and here's what's happening. These hidden motives behind the things that we're doing, as we're going to see as we're walking through this section, it's destroying you. It's way worse than you realize it is. And it's your great, I mean, these motives are your great enemy and they're sneaking into your life and they're even sneaking into your prayer life. And they're potentially ruining you through your prayer life. So here's, here's our words from Jesus Matthew 6, 5 through 9, here's what he says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, 
that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. And you say, well, wait, there's more because the Lord's Prayer is about to come. Well, what we're going to do each week is we're going to be walking through each section of the Lord's Prayer. And today, the section that we, we arrive at is this line, our Father, but all the stuff that was said before it. Now, what we're going to do each week is we're going to start developing a working definition of what prayer is. And each week we're going we're gonna to complete it more and we might be refining it a little bit better. So here's how I want to start with. Here's how I want you to think about prayer. Wrestling with God. Specifically the wrestling of wills. So if you walk through the Lord's Prayer, it's about God's glory, it's about His kingdom, it's about Him providing you with what you need. I mean, we just, we just sang this about Him forgiving your sins as you forgive other people's sins and about Him delivering you. And so you're trusting God's will that it's for his glory, not for your glory. It's for his kingdom, not for your kingdom. It's he knows what you need better than you know what you need. He knows how you should live better than you know how you should live. He's the one who's saving you. And so you're wrestling with the will. And here's the thing. You have a will for your glory, for your kingdom. And you come to God and you begin to pray through what's actually going on in your heart. And the center of the Lord's prayer is his will to be done. Now, it's not just that this wrestling thing with God's will and your will is being done in prayer, because it is, but there's something else to this. The word, well, the name that God gave his people in the Old Testament, do you know what it is? Israel. But do you know what Israel means? Wrestles with God. Now, the very name that God has given his people is wrestles with me. And names are incredibly important in the Bible. They actually usually set up someone's destiny. And so what we see here is that God's people are constantly wrestling with him. And so here's how we've got to think of this. Today, here's our working definition. Prayer is coming into the presence of God and wrestling with him like he is your father who is the king of heaven. Now, I could have said come into the presence of God and talk with him, and that's, that's what you hear a lot. What, what is prayer? It's just talking with God. But let's just be honest with ourselves and, our, and what's actually really going on in our heart most of the time. We have these hidden motives, and so if that's the case, then actually when we come into the presence of God to talk with him and we have these hidden motives, you know, the Bible has called humanity enemies of God, people who hate God, but then Christ comes on the scene and he got, dies on the cross in order to reconcile us to God so we're no longer enemies with God. But guess what's still the case? There's still sin that's wreaking havoc in our heart and in our soul, and so that means we come into the presence of God, still coming into the presence of God, but we're still sinners, and so we have these mixed things going on where we see what his will is, but really we have our own will, and so we come into the presence of God and then we start wrestling it out a bit. And If, I, if we're going to be honest that's what we're doing when we're going to God in prayer. We're talking with him, yes, but there's a lot of stuff going on in our heart, and he's sorting it out. And so we have to go to him, and he starts wrestling with us until 
we start seeing, oh, you know what, God, you're probably right, and I'm probably not. So the wrestling match begins, and I'm not saying that always when we go in the presence of God, we're wrestling with him, but it's probably more often than we realize. And basically what I'm saying is we need to take a good look under the hood and realize that often we're coming into the presence of God and really we have a different will than he has. And we're not ready to give up our will. And so we start begging to God and we're not seeing what he's actually wanting in our life. I mean, look at the Psalms. Look at the book of Psalms. All throughout the book of Psalms, you see the psalmist, the person who's praying this prayer and singing this prayer, wrestling with God. Uh, John Calvin had this great work called the Institutes. And in it, he starts it off like this. In order to know God, you have to know yourself, and in order to know yourself, you have to know God. And if that's the case, then you have to understand that because we have this tendency within us to be against God, that we're going to be against His will, and so even when we're coming into the presence of God in our prayers, we, there's a part of us that's against what He wants for our life, and so we come against God, and that's the place in prayer where God begins to win us over to his will over time. Continuing to go to God in prayer, realizing that he probably has a will that's different than ours. And so over time, he begins to massage us in such a way that we give over to his will. And we come to the realization that it's not only that God loves us more than we love ourselves, he's, it's that he died for us while we were still sinners, and if that's the case, we can trust him. And he's the king of heaven, so he's wise. So we want to give ourselves over to his will. So start saying this to yourself and to God. Okay, God, I don't want your will, but I want to learn to trust you. So help me do that. And you go and you wrestle it out with him. And he's inviting you to do that. He says in, in Isaiah 1.18, he says, come and let's reason this out. And so sometimes you're going to go to God as your father, who is the king, and you're going to wrestle it out, and, you're going to, and he's going to reason with you. And you're going to ask why, and maybe something will make sense to you. Sometimes that won't happen. When you look at the book of Job, Job keeps asking God, why, 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 why? And God essentially says, Job, just stop asking the question and trust me. And so sometimes you're going to ask why and you're not going to get an answer. So you probably should be prepared for both. And you've got to go to God's word as well to understand it too. So prayer is coming into the presence of God and wrestling with him like he is your father. Now, our verses are telling us that our tendency is to not do it this way. But to come, here's our tendency. We come into the presence of people publicly and we pray in such a way that we are wrestling with the people that we're praying in front of. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you're praying with ulterior motives, then you're praying for yourself. You're praying for your kingdom. You're praying for your glory. You're praying to be seen and to get some attention and praise from others, and you do that, and as you do that, you're wrestling with people over what? Your glory that you want to take. You want them to glorify. You want, you want their praise. You want them to think that you're wonderful and that you're awesome, and so a wrestling match begins not with God, but with people, and you become an actor in a play doing what it takes to get the glory that you want from people. 
So we don't wrestle with God there. We're wrestling with people to get our kingdom. Now, that's not real prayer. That's fake prayer. Um, Here's what you're doing. You're robbing from God what is due to him. Our world is meant to be a theater of God's glory. And when we pray in such a way where we're insecure about how people see us, when we pray in such a way that we want people to see how great of a prayer we are, instead of praying in the theater of God's glory, we change the name of the theater and we put our own name on it. And when the curtain is pulled back, the glory of God is not seen, but you are seen. And what happens is that's destroying you and it's destroying the world. And don't think that you're not praying in these ways. When you're praying in front of people, you're wondering how they're thinking about your prayer. It's becoming about you and not about God. And it's hurting you and it's hurting the world because why? Why is it hurting you? Why is it hurting the world? Because the thing that you need more than anything else, whether you believe it or not, is God and his glory. And the thing that the person sitting next to you right now needs more than anything else is God and his glory. And the world around you needs more than anything else is God and his glory. And so when we pray in such a way where we are so worried about what people are thinking about us, or we pray in such a way that we're so worried about people thinking we're great when we're praying, what we're doing is we're stepping in front of God and we're letting the world see us instead of him. We're not pulling the curtain back to see God, but we're pulling the curtain back for the world to see us. And we've just robbed the world of what it's meant to have his glory. Let me give you just an example of how easy this happens. So, um, on Facebook. So, I'm a pastor, and Facebook knows I'm a pastor. Facebook apparently knows everything. They're probably listening to us right now. And, And so I get these ads, and the ad says, Hey, pastor, want to grow your church? Well, yes, I do. What are you going to tell me? So, you click on the link, and, and a guy comes up, and, and he says, um, I started my church with three people, me, my wife, and the random lady from across the street. And then in, by the time I was 28, we were the 10th largest church in the nation. If you want to be like that, come to my training. I'm like, okay, cool. So, apparently God was not involved in this. It's just this guy who has this great strategy of how the church is going to grow to the 10th largest church in the nation. And clearly, the way the Bible says that the church grows is by two things. Faithful people praying and faithful people opening up God's word, preaching what it says. That's how the church grows. Now, there's strategies to get people in seats to listen to that. Sure, that's, that's a great thing. Strategies are great. But nothing was pointing to the glory of God, but was pointing to how great this guy is. Now, I'm not saying I couldn't make that same mistake that this guy made. But what I'm saying is it's so easy to do everything that you're doing. So you take your life, you take your job, why you're doing the things that you're doing. You are made in such a way to live for the glory of God and to walk into the presence of the glory of God and enjoy God's presence in his glory all at the same time. So when we do things that aren't for his glory, it's actually the same thing as what this pastor's doing. Don't think that your job is different than mine in such a way that you're not doing what you're doing for God's glory or you're not meant to. All right, now, now we've got to ask this question. 
It says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand. I'm standing right now. In the synagogues, you could say this is a synagogue, so they could be seen by others. Don't pray there, but go do it in secret. All right, so, I mean, am I a hypocrite now? Well, it depends. It depends why I'm doing what I'm doing. If I'm doing it, and I'm telling you this temptation is so easy for me to just stand up here and do this for me and for my glory, for you guys to think that I'm great. And if I'm doing it for that, then I'm just like the hypocrite. But it's, Jesus is not saying don't pray at all in public because there's commands in Scripture to pray in public all throughout the Psalms. Pray together. Do pr- Pray. Pray in the synagogues. Jesus prays in public all the time. So what's the point? It's all about the motive. Why you're doing what you're doing. I mean, even in your, by the way, even in your personal prayer life, like, prayer is meant to bring you into the presence of God so you can enjoy Him in such a way. And you do need to be asking God for things, but a lot of times what you're doing is you're asking God for something that you love and want more than Him. And so what you're doing is you're using God as a tool to get something that you want, that you love way more than you love Him. And, I mean, that's equally as problematic and messed up. So, here's the question, though. Should we be praying in public or not? And the answer is it all depends on our motives. Is the que- are we praying in such a way that we want the curtain to be pulled back so that the world sees the glory of God, or so that the curtain gets pulled back and, and the world sees how great the church is or how great the person praying is? So, here's my suggestion to you. Now, I know some of you are terrified of praying in public, but here's just my suggestion. If you're praying in public and your motives are off, stop what you're doing and go and pray in private until you are so enamored by the glory of God and you, and you want no glory of your own, and then you're ready to go pray in public. And perhaps you're in a situation where at your home, you had a family dinner and some relatives have come over and they're going to ask you to pray and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. They're going to ask me to pray and I'm going to have to do this. I'm like the one person that's going to church and so I know that they know, maybe I've been going for a year now and they're like, they know that I'm going for a year now. So they're going to say, hey, can you pray? And I'm, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And, but look at what's just happened. You're so consumed with how they're going to see you that it's become about you and not about God anymore. This is equally as sinful as the person standing up on the stage saying, look at me and how great my prayer is, because what you're doing is you've just made prayer about you, and now the curtain is not being pulled back to see God anymore. The curtain is being pulled back to see you. Like, I'm not saying that if you don't know how to pray, like, you shouldn't go, like, read the Bible and learn how the Bible would teach you to pray or ask somebody that's more mature than you how you should pray. That's good. But what I'm saying is the very first thing when you pray in front of people is what is your motive behind your prayer? And if you are so confident that you just want the world to know how great your prayer is, how great of a prayer you are, then it's for you and not God's glory. If you're so insecure that you can't do it in front of anybody, then you've made prayer about you again. Both equally the same problem. So you got to go and you got to get alone until you are so enamored with the glory of God that prayer is no longer about you and all you know, you don't need the eloquent words. All you need to do is pull the curtain back. 
It's just to be in awe of God and to show people what you have seen. Um, and the other thing is, to be a Christian is to be fully accepted by God. Fully accepted by faith. And that means that the one who really matters more than anything else loves you and will not stop loving you and accepts you because of the work of Christ. So that means you've got nothing to prove to people anymore. You're good, and so you can just pray in front of people. And if you're still feeling insecure about it, then just ask someone for some help. And then, so th- and then you say to me, maybe you say, David, well, okay, but I'm just not ready yet. I mean, why is it so bad that I feel so insecure about my prayers? Just, just stop worrying about what I've said and just go pray with God and just be with him, and then he'll teach you how to pray. The more you're doing it, the more you're reading his word, and the more you're with other people. All right, here's the point. When it's about you, God has been lost behind the curtain. And not only has God been lost behind the curtain, but now it says your reward is gone. Or you get the reward. The reward is the praise that you get from others. And that's it. You leave that here. But there's another kind of reward that God's offering you. Now, we spent a lot of time last week talking about what that reward is. So I'm going to tell you very briefly what it is today. And here's the reward. The reward is God's glory and his presence. And the gift of being able to bring other people into the glory of his presence. It's, you don't really... There's a tendency for us to not believe that the glory of God is so great. We forget about it, we ignore it, we ignore him, and then we enter into his presence and we have these moments, these glimmers where we're experiencing his glory and then it all makes sense to us again. But here's the reward. Not just his glory and his presence, but there's something added to it. It's the reward of getting to bring other people into his glory in his presence. And that's exactly what prayer is. You're advocating for others. You're, you're an in-between God and others, and you begin to pray, and as you begin to pray, the glory of God is shown. And so you get that reward now, but you get that reward in eternity when you get to be there in eternity, and you see people who've been ushered into God's kingdom and into his glory because of the prayers that you've been offered. I'm not saying that you're the Savior, but I'm saying that God will work through his people who are faithful in prayer. So it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful reward that you get to be part of. But the main thing is, if you want to pray the right way, the right motives, you have to know who it is that you're praying to. And he is the king of heaven who's also your father. So this phrase, your father in heaven, is an absolute game changer. And... Perhaps our problem in prayer is that we need to get to know God a bit better as our Father who's in heaven, who's the King of heaven. See, it's all about the approach. We don't know how to approach Him, so we don't know how to pray because we don't really know Him. But So think about this. So if you're in the wild and you see a wolf 
you're going to approach that wolf, or not approach the wolf at all, but you're going to approach that wolf very differently if you had to than you would approach a little toy poodle in the puppy store. Because you know something about each one of those animals. So the Bible says, you know what? You need to know something about God. He is your Father in heaven through the work of Christ. So you have to know that about him in order to approach him the right way. Now, I've heard stories, so he's the king. You have to know that he's the king. But he's not our father who is distant from us. Well, that wouldn't make sense. He's not our God who's distant from us. And he's not, because he hasn't just left us, but he's the king who's with us. All right, let me say it this way. I've heard stories that if someone's about to meet a king or a queen, they have to be trained of how to approach the king or queen. There's actually people that it's their job to help someone learn how to approach a king or a queen. So, let me ask you this. Who doesn't need to be trained how to approach the king or a queen? Their children. In fact, the king, when he calls someone, they come running. But the king does not go running when someone calls unless it's his child. Especially if it's his child in the middle of the night who's had a nightmare. Now the king has all the power of the kingdom at his disposal. He can send warriors to that room to go help his child who's screaming out for a nightmare. He could send doctors to that room. He could do whatever he wants. But he goes himself. Why? Because he's the father. Because he's intimate with him. Because he, it's his job. And he wants it to be his job. I want to give you two big words that explain this. One is eminence, and the other is transcendence. Eminence is all about the unmatched glory, the cosmic glory of God. He's the one who created all the world. He, it's, that's God. It's him. Transcendence means he's with us. So he is the father who is also the king. But not just the father. He's your father who's also the king. And he wants to spend some time with you. You have access to the king of creation. And he will come running to you and he longs for you to call out to him. Not because he needs you to call out to him, but because he loves you and he wants to be with you. And also remember, he's the wise king and he's a powerful king. And so that means you can ask him for anything that you want, but he's only going to give you what is good for you. So, listen to this. God will always give you what you ask for if you ask for it with the same wisdom and knowledge that he has. But we don't ask that way. We don't know what he knows. And so we ask him for things that we think are good for us, but they're not good for us, and so he doesn't give them to us. And we get upset about it, and we get mad about it, but 
So we're on this journey, and this journey, and God is using somehow in his unmatched wisdom, he's using all the wrong choices that we are making and all the sinful choices that we are making to somehow bring us towards him in such a way that is beautiful and wonderful that we're going to look back and we're going to say, God, you're amazing. I can't believe all the things that you've done to where you would make this happen and you would bring me to you through all of these events, but you've done it. But we pray for things to be different, and what we're doing is we're praying for things that we think are good for us, but they're actually leading us further from him. And because they're leading us further from him, they're horrible for us. Because what, again, what you need more than anything else is God's presence and his glory in your life. And so they're leading us further from him. But somehow he is using, he's led us to him perfectly in our own imperfect way. He has perfectly led us to him. You can ask him for anything knowing that if he doesn't give it to you, that he knows something that you don't. And if you say, ah, that's a cop-out. Well, think about it like this. If your child picks up a knife and says, Daddy, let's dance together. And then you say, well, child, with all my unmatched wisdom, I will grant you your request. Let's dance. You say, no, 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 I'll, I'll, sure, let's dance. Put the knife down. But you but you're not giving me what I want. I know the life that I want. I know the life that I need. I know the life that's good for me. And the life that I want for me is to dance with knives. And the father says, well, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And then you say, well, why don't you love me? And could it be that all of your requests from God right now are requests like you are, like that would be the same as you dancing with knives? And you don't realize it. So we're mad at God for it. But look, again, prayer is to come to God with all of these crazy requests that are bad for us and we're wrestling for our will and we come into the presence of God and he says no and we still keep fighting it out with him. But eventually, we give ourselves over to him because he's shown us something. That he's our father. That we were bought price of the life of his son so that we could be welcomed into the family. And when we realize that, we realize we can trust him and we can give ourselves over to his will. In fact, we were, as we've been saying, enemies with God. We've hated God. We've been against him. The Bible says this stuff over and over and over again. But Christ died so we could have this new title, not enemies of God, but children of God. How does he do it? On the cross, Jesus takes our sin and our shame, and a wrestling match happens as he's holding on all all of our sin and all of our shame. And on the cross, he loses so that now we can wrestle with God and not be destroyed, but we can be turned and shaped by God to come closer to him like a child. So we can wrestle with God like a child. Like his child. Not like an enemy anymore. Because an enemy will lose, but a child will always win if they're in the hands of a loving father. So he on the cross becomes an orphan so we can become sons and daughters. That's why you know you can trust his will. 
And that's why you know you can go to God wrestling, but eventually, like like Jacob, he'll put your hip out of socket. Eventually he'll do something, though, in such a way that'll finally make you realize that he knows what's best for you and he loves you. And uh, the road might be difficult, but it's going to be a good one. And the promise in the end is beautiful and wonderful. So that's what wrestling with God looks like. In your prayer, because he's your father, who's the king of heaven. All right. Um, Let me pray for us. Father, um, as we're about to take communion together, um, I pray that you would send your spirit now to be with us to make clear for us what we are doing here. Um, God, I pray that we would learn to come to you like children who have all these wants and these desires, and, and we're like our kids. We're pretty crazy in what we're asking you, and, and, and you just kind of smile at us in these crazy requests, and yet, yet you welcome them um, like we welcome them from our kids, and, and we pray, God, that you would... Uh, Give us the trust and the faith in you that we can say, God, whatever you give us, um, we know it's good and from you, and that we can trust even even the waves that come into our life, that we could learn to to kiss them because those waves are driving us to you. And God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.